And that's one thing that I thought was really, really important for me. Talking to people, either my dad or people that my dad knew, that's where you get the most authentic information that will be the most helpful to you. You need to talk to people who are gonna tell you what's up because the music industry is honestly really messed up. Like mm -hmm. it can be really messed up and mm -hmm. they can chew you up and spit you out and it'll be done. So you need to talk to people who will tell you what to do, what not to do, the best ways to go about everything. And make sure you talk to someone who you believe has your best interest at heart or at least knows someone who does. Yeah. So that way you can make sure that you're not just gonna get you know taken fast in this industry because that really can't happen. Mm. Welcome to The Founder's Couch. This is a show about Stanford student founders and their intrepid journeys of starting their own thing. I'm your host, Katherine Jang. I hope all of y'all have been absolutely wonderful because I've got an incredible show planned for you. Today, we'll be talking to Evan Michelle Miller. Evan and I both went to the same high school, Hockaday, back in Dallas, Texas. She's a junior here at Stanford majoring in communication who founded her own publishing company, Nave Entertainment, back in high school and continues to run it today. Evan is a registered songwriter and has written, recorded, and independently released a five-song EP called Eris without the aid of a record label. She also models for Stars Management on the side. Now I couldn't be more excited to dive into all this and learn about the fascinating world of music and modeling and how Evan came to found Nave. So let's get Evan on the couch! Hey, Evan. Hello, how are you? Good, how are you doing? Thanks so much for joining me on the couch today. Yeah, for sure. So I wanna first start off by asking, how are you doing? I'm doing well, you know, it's the end of week eight, so things are a little hectic right now. Oh but yeah, no, I totally feel. Yeah, but yeah. overall, things are good. The quarter has been busy, but lots of exciting things are going on, so I'm doing, good. doing well overall. So I'm, I've already given listeners sort of like a rundown of what Nave does, but if you could, in your own words, sort of explain um, what the publishing company does. Sure. So basically, I founded Nave Entertainment, and as you mentioned, it is a music publishing company. And the goal, really, with founding it was for me to retain complete creative and business control over my music. So basically how that works is I wrote all of the songs on my debut EP, Eris, but typically artists, songwriters, whoever, may have to pay an additional publishing fee to a publishing company. Mm -hmm. So by establishing my own publishing company and registering all my songs underneath that, I retain both writer's rights and publisher's rights to my music, which means that I don't have to pay a fee to anyone. Mm -hmm. And also, what's really interesting, should anyone want to use my songs in a movie or a commercial, that's how that works. So they would have to go through me and not a third party. So mm -hmm. it really just makes sure that I retain control all around of my music. Why do you feel that having control over your own music is so important for you? Yeah, I think it's become really important recently. I think you know, I don't know how closely you follow the music industry, but there's been a lot of stories of artists, you know, losing control over their music. And when you lose control over your music, in many ways, you lose control over your voice. Mm -hmm. So one person that I really love, an artist that I really love is Jojo. Um, everyone knows her. Even oh, if you yeah. think you don't, you know, <laughs> leave Get Out, Too Little, Too Late. Those were hits oh, those and we so were young, good. right? But if you haven't heard from her in a long time, and that's because her label, Blackground essentially had complete control over her music. She wasn't able to put out anything new. She wasn't even able to perform her old songs. All of her old songs were wiped from streaming. So she wasn't, not only was she not making any money, she wasn't able to do what it is that she's passionate about. And so that's not an uncommon tale either. So seeing a lot of stories like that really inspired me to make sure that I always am 
the person who has the most control over my music. It's mm-hmm. mine. So yeah. I think it's really important that I'm able to be the chief person making all creative and business decisions around it. Absolutely. And this was back in sophomore year of high school, mm-hmm. right? So how did you go through the formal process of incorporating this? And is this like a formally incorporated thing? Yeah. So I registered the way that that kind of works is a lot of it's not uncommon for um, songwriters to do this, do what I've done. Mm -hmm. It is kind of a feat, but I I understand that it's becoming more popular as of late. So the way to go about it is you can register your company either through BMI or ASCAP. Those are kind of the two. Yeah. So BMI stands for Broadcast Music Industry. I'm not sure what ASCAP stands for because I'm a BMI registered. So not. Not really sure, but um, ASCAP and BMI are kind of the two main corporations that you can register underneath, and that just makes sure that your business is official because, you know, I can't just be like, oh, Nave Entertainment is a publishing company. Right. It's it's not, unless it's <laughs> registered under something. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of the way that you go about it, is registering under ASCAP or BMI, and my dad has been in the music industry for decades, so he helped walk me through that process, and there's an approval process and everything, mm. but, so it is kind of, it can be kind of tedious at first, but it's definitely worth it in the oh, long yeah. run. Yeah. Obviously, all of this is related to your passion for music, and Mm -hmm. that started early. Tell me, like, how did you get into this, into music in the first place? Yeah, so as I just mentioned briefly, my dad is involved in the music industry. He's been a producer for many years. He has played instruments for people on the road, people like Whitney Houston, Mariah Carey, some big names in Mm R&B. So when I was little, I spent a lot of time in the studio. I basically grew up in the studio. So that's kind of how I got my first introductions to music. And from that, a real love of music just kind of blossomed. And I started doing musical theater when I was five. And from there, I just kind of continued singing and I've just never stopped. Mm -hmm. And, you know, middle and high school, did you do things like choir? Mm -hmm. Yes. So I was in choir all the way through. Good old (laughs) Miss Bonnie Jean's choir from fifth through 12th grade. So I was in choir. I was the co-president of show choir my senior year. I did the musicals every year. And even here at Stanford, you know, I'm Mm -hmm. still I'm involved with Ram's Head, which is the theatrical society here on campus. So like last year I was in Chicago and Mm. I had one of the lead roles as Mama Morton. So that was really, really fun. So I'm still continuing a lot of those things that I did in in middle and high school related to music. Mm. So you mentioned you you created your own sort of EP, right? Mm -hmm. It was like five songs. It was, yes. Walk me through the process behind creating that. Mm. So that was a fun process. It was really actually very cool. Um, I kind of just one day started writing songs. I was like, I'm just going to write my own songs. Because a lot of the times when you perform as an up-and-coming artist, you do a lot of covers of other people's music. Mm -hmm. And that can get... You know, it's cool, but sometimes it's just nice to be able to perform something that's really your own. Mm -hmm. So I started writing lyrics. I mean, I've been writing poetry for a long time, so it's kind of the same thing. It's just poetry to a melody. So Mm -hmm. I just started writing music, writing lyrics. And I would eventually I took it to my dad and I was like, you know, I'm really interested in putting out something of my own. Do you think that you could help me with this? Mm -hmm. And he did. So my dad did all of the physical like music production and sound engineering as relates to the project. Mm-hmm. I wrote all the songs and then I enlisted the help of my cousins <laughs> to do my background vocals because I come from a very musical family. So it was really easy to kind of just get everything done. It took about, I would say, seven or eight months to do the whole entire process. It was really convenient given my dad's connection because we do have access to a studio, which is really important because studio time is really expensive so having access to a studio was key but it was 
I was honestly, it was very hard work. Um, after school, I would come home after musical rehearsal and then I'd have to sing some more and like mm. record this mm-hmm. EP. So it was definitely, it took up a lot of time, but the end product was worth it. I mean, even though it's five years old now, it's still something that I'm proud of. Mm-hmm. So I'm really happy that I was able to go through that process, even though it was a, a good deal of hard work. <laughs> yeah, I bet. What's your favorite song on the album? That's a great question. I think my favorite, it kind of like changes from day to day, depending on what mood I'm in. But typically my favorite song is 50-50. I know a lot of people really like Shut It Down. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I like Shut It Down if I'm in like a party mood or something. But most of the time I like to listen to 50-50. And that's kind of the one that when people are like, oh, play a song from your EP, I tend to play that one. Got it. And what was, like, the inspiration behind the lyrics and the tunes of each song? Yeah. So I definitely, in terms of, like, the musicality of each song, I made a conscious decision to make each song very different because Mm -hmm. I wanted to appeal to as wide of an audience as possible. So you have Shut It Down, which is kind of like hip-hop, rap. There's a rap verse on it. Right. You know, you have... The News and 50-50, which are kind of more slow ballads, you know, and then Get on the Floor is a very kind of like poppy song. Exactly. So (laughs) I was kind of trying to cater to as many different audiences as possible, which I think is important to do as an up and coming artist. You don't want to pigeonhole yourself into one style of music. So that was kind of what I was thinking in terms of the development of the actual music. In terms of the lyrics... I try to keep my lyrics... I think it's easier to write songs that are inspired by your own life events. I mean, you may be like blowing it up a little bit, but (laughs) it's nice to start from something that you've actually experienced. So I'm I'm, like in terms of 50-50, I'm sure we've all actually experienced either in a friendship or relationship, someone who doesn't feel like is giving you what you're giving them. So exactly, exactly. So I think that that is kind of an example of how you can draw from your own life experiences to write these lyrics. Mm. Mm -hmm. Do you think that, you know, artists should always sort of pull from their life experiences or do you think that's best left aside from music. Yeah, I think it really depends. Some people can just, you know, sit down with a pen and paper and write a song from nothing. I really can't. I think it's better for me when I write from my own life experiences. But there are some people who can just really just make stuff up mm-hmm. <laughs> really, really well. And I think that that's definitely a talent. But mm-hmm. I think it depends on the on the individual person. But for me, I like to draw from my own life. Got it. And before you, you know, started this EP, did you go through things like vocal training, songwriting training? Yes. So I have actually been taking vocal lessons. I don't even know how long. So (laughs) it's really I think a lot of people think that the world's best singers like you don't just wake up one day Whitney Houston. Whitney Mm. Houston Mm -hmm. didn't wake up one day Whitney Houston. Like you have to be trained. It's a it's an art. There's a technique. There's a technique to everything in terms of singing. There's a technique to how you breathe. There's a technique to how you stand, how you hold your shoulders. And there's really no way to know that unless you've been formally trained. Mm -hmm. So my parents, my dad especially thought it was really important for me to be in vocal training I think I started probably when I was eight and I've had the same vocal trainer the whole entire time I mean even when I was auditioning for Chicago last year I skyped her and I was like okay you're gonna listen to my song that mm-hmm. I'm gonna sing for this audition and you're mm-hmm. gonna tell me what you think about it so <laughs> she's definitely still um, a person that I can count on in terms of my music career um, and just you know I think that having that vocal training is really important songwriting Not so much. I think that songwriting is definitely something that you either have it or you don't. It's really hard to learn how to write a song. Mm. Like, there are a lot of people that try to tell you that there are formulas and, like, techniques that you can follow. I really don't find that any of them work for me. I think it's just kind of, like, 
like I mentioned, it's like poetry, you know, it should just come naturally. I think if you have to force it and, you know, write, you know, oh, I'm going to write the chorus first and then I'm going to write the three verses and then I'm going to like, no, Mm -hmm. I think if you have to do all that, you just need to take a step back. (laughs) I don't think it should be quite so hard. I find that the best songs, like the songs that I like the most that I've written, just just flowed right on out. I didn't have to force it or Mm. anything like that. That's a good point. Yeah. Do you usually write all of your songs in one sitting or does it sort of come to you when you're like grocery shopping or doing something else? Yeah. So typically I think I tend to write my songs in one sitting, but sometimes, you know, I'll start and I'll get stuck and I'll be like, okay, I'm just going to leave this alone. And then I may come back to it weeks, months, even years later and just like sing it through, sing what I have. And then maybe something else will come to me. But Mm. most of the time, like pretty much all the songs on the EP, I just sat down and wrote. Who do you think are your biggest inspirations for your music? Yes. Well, for me, um, I've heard a lot that my music sounds a lot like late 90s, early 2000s R&B slash pop, which R&B and pop were very closely coupled in that time. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's artists from that time, particularly like late Destiny's Child and like early Beyonce when she started her solo career. I think you can hear a lot of those kind of kind of influences in my music. Um, I grew up listening to that kind of music, so I definitely think that I'm really heavily influenced by it in my music. Mm. If you could name, you know, three things or a couple things that you learned from the process of founding Nave and also, you know, making your own EP, what would those three things be? Hmm, that's a good question. The first one that I would say is don't give up because as I mentioned, it is a lot of hard work and it can get really tempting to just say, I'm not going to do this right now or I'm going to do it later. Like I just, I have too much on my plate. And I really feel like if I had done that, I never would have gotten back around to finishing it. So I think it's really important to don't give up, start what you finish first. I think the other thing is to remember why you're doing it. You know, mm-hmm. if, if it's really you're doing it because you're passionate about the music, keep that in mind. Like, I think that's a good way to motivate yourself, like when the going gets tough, because sometimes you're like, OK, why am I doing this again? Right. Like, remember that you're doing it because you love the music. And mm-hmm. I think that that will be really helpful. For sure. Yeah. So I want to take us back to a previous conversation that we had. You know, Mm -hmm. we got lunch at Trester and we talked about like various things or various trends that you notice in the music industry, such as like um, this whole rise of like streaming Mm -hmm. and like um, this transition from like radio to social media and how um, more indie artists are starting to like produce music without labels. Right. So could you just like talk me through like some of the trends that you've been noticing and what you think of it? Yeah. So this this move to streaming and this transition away from the traditional like record label model, I think definitely has its pros and cons. So first and foremost, like you mentioned, it allows for a lot of unknown artists, if you will, to be able to be seen by a larger audience. So previously it was that if you weren't discovered by an executive at a record label, no one would ever hear your music. But now with social media, people can just post clips of them singing, post clips of their music, and they might go viral and become a star overnight. Like that's very possible. Like Jay Beebs Exactly. And I, I really think, honestly, I really admire Justin Bieber because I think that he was one of the first people to do that in this new modern era. I mean, if you think about it, who got famous from social media before him? No one. Like no he one. was really yeah. a trailblazer in that respect. So and now I think, but... Also, now I think that people have seen him do that and seen other people do that. And now it's just completely oversaturated. Like there was a point in time when 
on YouTube, you know, there were only a handful of people doing covers because, like, mm-hmm. why would you post videos of yourself singing online? Mm-hmm. No one could really grasp that concept before they saw it work for him. Mm-hmm. And now there's millions of people doing that on YouTube and social media. And it's really hard to rise out of that and be the one person who yeah. breaks out. Like, really, what's the likelihood? Right. So that's kind of a pro and con of that. In terms of streaming, I think that another pro is that you don't, like, for me, I didn't have to rely on a major record label or distribution company to put my music out there on those streaming sites. I just put it out there myself. Mm -hmm. But it's also kind of unfortunate because now that people aren't buying physical copies of albums, artists are making less money. You make Mm -hmm. pennies on the dollar streaming. Mm -hmm. So it's like... Mm-hmm. You know, sometimes I'll look at my account and be like, oh, cool. Like, I made 30 cents today. <laughs> Woohoo. Like, it's it's really rough <laughs> to make money that's streaming. So yeah. It's not a sustainable model. And that's why I think a lot of artists are touring more and doing more shows and selling more merchandise. Because you have to do something. Because album sales really aren't it. Like, some yeah. people buy music still, but, like... Not really. I mean, it used to, there was a time when you would go in Target or whatever and the CD section was huge and now it's about this big. So that really, it really, it really speaks to the fact that, you know, the whole entire music industry model is rapidly changing. But the thing is, you know, we can feel about that how we want to. As an artist, you have to adapt to it or you just won't be able to make it. So you have to figure out, you know, what's going to work for you in this new climate if you will in the music industry and make sure that you're able to keep up because I think we've seen a lot of artists especially older artists who were in their heyday during the age of CDs and whatnot they haven't been able to keep up Mm -hmm. they haven't and the new artists are completely just outstripping them in terms of sales in terms of fans because that's what's important now is numbers right that's what's important so you've got to be able to keep up with that yeah and then also just like these social media artists too, mm-hmm. like it, there, a lot of these artists are using social media to sort of kind of gain that traction. Right, and the only thing that I don't like about that is that I feel like it dilutes the industry because there was a time, like I said, when a record executive had to see you and like you and hear you perform at some coffee shop somewhere and then believe in you and take you to the next level, and I think that's important because it allows. It makes sure that real talent is being captured. I think a lot of people, and, you know, I model as well, so I see Mm -hmm. this in the modeling industry, too. I mean, the best models may not get the job because a model with more followers also tried out. Mm. So that's kind of, like, a little annoying, Mm -hmm. having to deal with that. And I think it kind of has taken away some of the real raw talent of the industry because... Some people who may be the best singers in the world may not be the people who are going to go viral. Yeah, absolutely. And that's what record labels, modeling agencies are looking for right now. Like, who is going to bring the most traction? Who has the most followers? Who has the most views? But that doesn't necessarily mean that that person is the most talented. Right. So that's kind of a struggle with that. Yeah. Because I've noticed, like, um, a lot of the really famous singers today, like, obviously many of them are very talented, but also... There's so many p- talented people out there who don't have the same fame level. As and them. never will. Yeah. And never will. Because they, they don't have whatever it is that makes you go viral, which I don't think anyone has figured that out yet. There's mm-hmm. no real formula. I mean, it really involves, like, posting at the right time, being at the right place at the right time, getting right. the right people to see your stuff, which, mm-hmm. how could you ever figure that out? So it's it's really, it's it's honestly hard, I think, to break into the music industry now because there used to be a real formula to follow, and now there's it's been completely mm. disrupted. Do you think it's a goal of yours or not to sort of blow up or do you not care about that? You know, I used to really care about that. Like it used to be like my primary goal, but I think 
you know, if it happens, it happens, but I'm not as focused on it as I once was. Like, I will continue to make music. I'll continue to put it out there. If people want more, I'll give them more. But it's not, like, my primary focus right now. Um, I definitely think that there was a time when it was. But I think in just terms of, like, being in college and focusing on my modeling career, mm-hmm. I just don't have the bandwidth to put my all into music right now. Right. And that's what I would have to do. I'm fully aware of that, that I would have to just, like, drop everything. Like, if you think about the people who are at the top of the music industry, they quit everything. And they just, like, went to L.A. or New York mm-hmm. with a dollar and a dream. Like, mm-hmm. I'm, I don't have time to do that yeah. right now. I'm trying to get my degree. <laughs> Why do you think education kind of trumps that? Well, honestly... <laughs> I went to Hockaday for 12 years right? <laughs> and I need to get my return on my investment. Yeah. <laughs> so, so true, honestly. <laughs> that, yeah. And I mean, like I'm enjoying Stanford and I am too close to quit now. Oh, like yeah. we have one year left. Mm-hmm. So, and I, I mean, I'll only be 21 when I graduate. That's still extremely young. Yeah. So there's still time for me to pursue that if I want to, you know, take a year off or something before I enter the workforce or do whatever's next for me. Mm-hmm. So we'll see. But right now it's not like, it used to literally consume, like, my life, and now it just doesn't, and that's right. fine. That's fine. Yeah, it's just a different... I'm in a different season in life right, right now, Right, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> um, so before I move on to, like, the fire round, mm-hmm. I want to just touch on your modeling yes. um, thing that you've been doing as well. So um, can you tell me a little bit about, like, how you got into modeling in the first place and where you are right now? Yeah, that? so when I was about... 14, I would say, a family friend appeared on the short-lived but very entertaining TV show on E! called Scouted. And that basically featured, you know, everyday girls being scouted by modeling agents in the mall or at a music festival or whatever Mm -hmm. the case may be. And a family friend, like I mentioned, was on the show. She had a great experience. She got signed to the Page Parks agency through that show. And she recommended that I give it a try. I had never thought about modeling, like, honestly, never. Um, My mom asked me if I wanted to do pageants at one point when I was little, but I was like, uh, no. So I had never really thought about doing anything like that. But she had such a great experience, and she really seemed to be impacted by it. So I was like, you know what, I'm just going to try it. Like, who knows? Maybe I'll really like it. So I basically just sent in some headshots to the agency and... That started a process that ended up being, you know, far more rigorous than I actually imagined. I had to go to different auditions and castings. And then I finally made it to what's called the model camp, Hmm. which, I mean, if you've watched America's Next Top Model, it's kind of like that. It's a little (laughs) crazy. And Mm -hmm. you, like, go and you stay in this hotel with a bunch of other aspiring models for, like, two weeks or something like that. And you'll take photo posing classes and runway classes and you do photo shoots and you basically just learn the ins and outs of the industry. And then at the end, they pick their favorites to sign. And I thought I had done so well, and then I didn't get signed. And I was like, um, what? (laughs) But at that point, I was already, like I said, I didn't really care about modeling before, but after I've just gone through all this, now I'm invested. So over the next year, I took some more classes on my own, talked to some people I knew in the modeling industry, just tried to you know, be more prepared. Because like I mentioned, I didn't have a clue what I was doing Mm -hmm. that first year. So the second year, I went back, I went through the whole process again, and then I got signed with the agency Page Parks. And I was with them all throughout high school. Mm -hmm. And now I'm with Stars Model Management in San Francisco, which I actually got signed to them through Page Parks, which Mm -hmm. was Mm -hmm. really, really nice of them. Because I obviously left Page Parks because it just didn't make any sense anymore. I'm like never in Dallas and that's where they're based. But they have a close connection with my agency out here, Stars. So they 
definitely they definitely helped in getting that worked out for me. Um, so now I'm with SARS and it's been a really great opportunity. California is definitely a much bigger market than Texas. So I've gotten some big name clients. I mean, I did Fenty Beauty. I've done mm. Oscar de la Renta, Zach Posen. So a lot of big names mm-hmm. that I just never would have had access to in Texas. Mm-hmm. So my modeling career is definitely going really well right now. So that's kind of more of a focus for me at the moment. Mm-hmm. But it's been good. Mm. Yeah. And how do you balance all of these things? So you've got, you know, Nave, you've got, you know, your current e- uh, next album mm-hmm. that you're starting to work on or you're currently working on. Yes. And you've got this modeling gig as well. And you've mm-hmm. got classes. How do yes. you balance all that? It definitely requires um, excellent time management skills, as I feel that I learned at good old Hockaday. So, <laughs> yeah. but yeah, that, it's really important to be able to balance your time. Um, but my agency is very understanding. They know a lot of the models signed to stars are also students. They know what we're going through. They know I can't do every single thing. Like my agent called me yesterday to see if I could do a job today from 12 to 2. And I was like, um, I have a group project to work on. I'm so sorry. Mm-hmm. But she was like, no, it's totally fine. No worries. Mm-hmm. So they're very understanding with that. And then in terms of music, you know, I get to kind of control my own schedule with that, which is another advantage of not being signed to a major label. Um, but with modeling, I've just been really lucky to have agents who understand that, you know, I'm not doing this full time. I'm doing it as much as I can, but it's not my profession as of the moment. So they're really understanding and, and they work with me on that and they make sure that clients know that as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, That's awesome to hear. Mm-hmm. So now I'm going to move on to the fire round, which okay. is sort of the last <laughs> round of questions. I'm going to fire at you a couple questions and I want you to sort of answer them like in uh, little time as possible. Okay. Um, so number one, most memorable experience at Stanford so far? Ooh, NSO. It was so fun. Oh, that was so quick. Yeah. <laughs> what about NSO was so memorable? I feel like I just like met so many people that are still my closest friends. And so we always talk about NSO and we look back on it so fondly because it was like really the beginning of a new era oh, in my life. Totally. So I really like that's been a really memorable experience that and both years of Blackfest because, mm. you know, I'm on the Blackfest mm-hmm. committee and that's been a really great experience. And we're working on that for this year. Yeah. So those are probably my two favorite Stanford experiences so far. Awesome. Yeah. Favorite class at Stanford and why? Ooh, I would say Com 104. Um, it's a reporting class in, in the communication department, more focused on journalism. And that's been my favorite class, honestly, because of the professor. Professor Brenner, he is amazing. He really cares about his students and he really goes the extra mile to make sure that you're not just, you know, learning, but that you're like doing well in general. Mm-hmm. So, like, you know, one night, we had to watch a movie for his class and everyone was staying up late doing it and we were supposed to have a quiz the next day and he was like, I'm just going to cancel it. We were like, oh my gosh, that's so sweet. No, he's like very understanding of the Stanford experience and the struggle. Mm -hmm. So he's a really great professor and I learned a lot in his class. Mm. So that leads me to like kind of a side note question. Why did you decide to major in communication? How does that relate to music and modeling yeah so um completely like full disclosure I don't really think it does um (laughs) but (laughs) when I came in to the college application process I wanted to be a business major and that's not an option here Mm -hmm. at Stanford undergrad so I looked at all the other major options and you know there's MS&E management science and engineering for those of you who don't go to Stanford but I don't like engineering so Mm -hmm. I was like okay Mm -hmm. no Mm -hmm. I could do like I don't know simsys symbolic systems but I was like no like it (laughs) was just no everything was too stem heavy so I picked communication because I I looked at the class offerings and you know you learn like there's an economics class that we can take that's more focused on like media economics Mm -hmm. so it's more tailored to things that are of interest to me like in that particular class that was another really interesting class like we learned about the economics behind it was music film 
and like something else. Like mm-hmm. it was, it really covered a lot of things that are of interest to me. So I think that I just looked at the class offerings for the communication department. It's broad. I didn't want to like narrow myself into any one career path. Like with communication, you can kind of go and do anything. Last summer I worked at a marketing firm. So there's a lot, but like, you know, I was interested in doing consulting. So there's kind Mm. of a lot of things that you can do with it. So that's kind of why I picked it. Got it. Yeah. Okay. So moving on closest mentor at Stanford and how you met them. So it would either be Professor Brenner from Com 104 or um, Harry Elam. He's the vice provost. And oh, yeah. Yeah, totally yeah, yeah, no, he's a he's a great mentor of mine. Actually, my mom met him at an event for Stanford parents in Dallas or something like that my freshman year. And they got to talking and talking about me. And he reached out to me after the fact and was like, just come in to my office for a meeting. Oh, and wow. I meet with him pretty much quarterly and just talk about life. life. And he that. gives me advice. <laughs> about, you know, navigating the Stanford experience. Um, That's amazing. He's actually been a really big help. Um, even in terms of planning Blackfest this year, he's been helping us out with that. So mm-hmm. he's a really great mentor. Mm. Favorite place to do work on campus? My room. In all years of Stanford, I have never not once stepped into any library on this really? campus. Really? Not yes. even green? Nope. <laughs> Wow. I can't do it. I like to study in my room. Like, you know. Wait, that's so interesting because so many people say that they can't like focus in their room, but you think that sort of like. I absolutely focus in my room. And maybe it's because, I don't know, I studied in my room like in high school, middle school and everything. So it just kind of has continued. And I like to be in my PJs, you know, mm-hmm. with my snacks. And okay. I just feel like you can't really do that in the library. Yeah. And I've always lived on West Campus, which is like super far mm-hmm. from green and I'm just like I study till like one or two o'clock in the morning and I'm not walking back because I don't really care to bike right. so I'm not going to be walking back across campus at two o'clock in the morning in the freezing cold yeah too. so <laughs> I just study in my room that's yeah. my favorite place <laughs> favorite activity just sort of decompress and de- de-stress I like to do like face masks <laughs> I've gotten really into skincare in college, so I do, like, you know, just put on a little face mask. I put on my, I have a diffuser in my room, so I put my little lavender essential oil, and I'll watch some Netflix. Maybe just, like, I try to allow myself, like, you know, like, if I'm really stressed, okay, I'm just going to watch one episode of something on Netflix. And you just just relax. Yeah, and then I'll just, like, okay, one full episode, I'm done, I'm jumping back in now. Yeah, I love that. (laughs) Yeah. Most impactful summer internship and why? I would say my internship last summer. So last summer I worked at Slingshot, which is a marketing and advertising firm in Dallas. And it was impactful to me, I think, because a lot of internships, I think, are more like shadowing experiences. I got so much hands-on experience at Slingshot. Mm -hmm. I was the account management intern, so I was leading the development of a 360 marketing campaign. Yeah. So the interns, in addition to like working with our supervisors on whatever projects and clients they were working with, we got to develop an independent project as interns for the Dallas Arboretum and like presented to them and everything. So that was really impactful because I feel like I learned so much and we got to have so much hands-on experience that I think will translate into the future really, really well. Mm. For students on campus who might have an interest in starting their own, you know, publishing company Mm -hmm. or, you know, getting, you know, their music career started, what is like one piece of advice you give them? I would say talk to as many people as possible. Like you can research it all day long online or look at videos on YouTube or something. I don't know. I don't really think that that will give you as much really impactful and useful information as talking to people who have done it before. And Mm -hmm. that's one thing that I thought was really, really important for me. Talking to people, either my dad or people that my dad knew, that's where you get the most authentic information that will be the most helpful to you. You need to talk to people who are going to tell you, 
what's up because the music industry is honestly really messed up. Like, mm-hmm. it can be really messed up. And mm-hmm. they can chew you up and spit you out and it'll be done. So you need to talk to people who will tell you what to do, what not to do, the best ways to go about everything. And make sure you talk to someone who you believe has your best interest at heart or at least knows someone who does. Yeah. So that way you can make sure that you're not just going to get, you know, taken fast in this industry because that really can happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And last question, where do you see Nave Entertainment going and what are the next steps for Evan Michelle Miller? Yes, so in the future, I would love to turn Nave Entertainment, take it from just being a publishing company to really being like an entertainment conglomerate, like a true brand. Um, The way I describe it to some people is like, if you think of, you know, like Rock Nation and Jay-Z, think of me as like the female Jay-Z. Like he has (laughs) sports, he has film, he has the music thing going. Like he discovered Rihanna. Like Rihanna was signed to Rock Nation for many, many years. So I think that doing something like that, I think will be really important. And, you know... As I mentioned, it's I, I think it's really important to retain control over your music. So some of you might be thinking like, okay, well then why would you want to sign other people? But I think that a large part of the problem with the music industry now is that a lot of these big conglomerates just like don't care. Hmm. I think that it would be really powerful if there was a brand that actually cared about its artists and wasn't going to like you know, sell out. So I would like to do something like that with Nave Entertainment. In terms of what's next for me... Right now, I'm really prioritizing my modeling career, but I am still working on new music, so I hope to get that out soon, like, real soon. (laughs) So I'm hoping to see that something good is going to happen with that, and I'll definitely keep you posted. But as of right now, you know, I'm just focusing on getting this degree and getting my modeling career, you know, taken to the next level, but still love music, still working on that. I'm doing, there's a lot of moving pieces in my life right now, as you can probably tell. Mm -hmm. So, but music is always going to be there for me. Awesome. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Evan, for coming on the show. It was of such a course. great time. Yeah, I'm glad I got to do it. It was awesome to have Evan on the couch. I can't wait to see where she goes with Nave Entertainment and her music and modeling careers. You can check out her EP, Eris, on Spotify or any other streaming platform out there. Thanks so much for tuning in to this episode. I hope y'all enjoyed it. If you've got any feedback, suggestions, questions, or any existential thoughts, write to me at cj98 at stanford.edu. Lastly, whether you're listening on Spotify, iTunes, etc., make sure to subscribe. Next week, we've got a great episode. And let me tell you, I could not be more excited. I'll be talking to senior Stephanie New. Make sure to tune in to hear all about her journey of founding her own soap business and more. I'm Catherine Jane, and you've been listening to The Founder's Couch. See y'all next week!